Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Saving Grace, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. Here's Pastor Nick. We are going to be studying Romans. We're in our study. We've been doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans that we call Saving Grace. And now we have come all the way up to chapter 9. So this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, please open with me to Romans chapter 9. Let's begin by reading our text, which comes from Romans chapter 9. We'll read some verses. We'll start with the first eight verses, and then we'll go down to verse 14. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption and the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we pray that as we study it this morning, Lord, would you give us insight that we might understand it, Lord, that you might open the eyes of our heart to understand these glorious things in your word. Lord, I pray that uh, for some of us who've come in here with questions, Lord, that you would answer some of those questions today. And I pray for those of us who have come in here with other needs, Lord, that you would speak to us, meet our needs. Lord, you know where each of us are at. We ask that you'd speak to us and that we'd have ears to hear. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many times have you heard somebody protest with these words? They say, that's not fair. I have kids, and if you have kids, then you probably hear that a lot, right? Like I hear my kids talking to each other, and I always hear them in the other room, and then one of them saying to the other one, that's not fair. So we all have this this innate sense that there should be fairness, there should be rightness in the world. And, And if your parents were anything like my parents, and then of course I do this to my kids, when they say, that's not fair, I like to tell them, well, life's not fair, so get used to it, because that's what my parents told me. Now, while that's true, that life's not fair, it's not very satisfying to get that response, is it? Because all of us, we have this innate desire for things to be fair, for them to be right, for them to be equitable. And so, although it's true that the world isn't fair, it's not very satisfying to get that answer. Now, sometimes people bring that discussion, that question, that idea into their understanding of God. And they'll look at their lives and the circumstances of their lives, or look at things going on in the world, and they'll look at them and they'll say, it's not fair. They'll go one step further. They won't even just say, my circumstances aren't fair, or the world or life is not fair. They'll go to that further step of saying, well, if God's in control of everything, well, then God isn't fair. And and maybe you found yourself in that place before too, questioning God, wondering, is God fair? Or, Or even just straight out saying, God isn't fair. 
Maybe you found yourself asking other questions like, are the things that the Bible says, are they even true? Do they even hold up under scrutiny? Here in Romans 9, Paul is addressing some of the most difficult questions that people struggle with when it comes to God. And he addresses them head on. He doesn't avoid them at all. He addresses them directly. It's, it's stuff like, what was that whole thing with, with Israel in the Old Testament? Like, what's up with having a chosen nation that you treat differently than you treat other people? And questions like, if God chooses some people, then doesn't that by implication mean that God doesn't choose all people? Or if God is in control of everything, then how much freedom do we actually have, right? Like if God is sovereign and he's in control of all things, then how much freedom do we have and how much responsibility do we have for our own actions if God is really in control? So the title of today's message is Chosen by God. And this is the first part of a three-part kind of mini-series within our series that we're going to do because that's, that's really what we have here. Verses 9, 10, and 11 deal with the question of Israel. And each chapter kind of deals with it from a little bit different angle. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at chapters 9, 10, and 11 as we journey through Romans. And the key to understanding this section is it's all about understanding Israel. So think about it like that. Understanding Israel. And today our message is about Israel as God's chosen people. What does it mean for us that Israel was chosen? What does it mean for us that we're chosen? How do we understand this whole idea of God choosing? So we left off last week in chapter 8 reading about how we have this incredible security in Christ. It was this great crescendo that Paul reaches where he's been building up to this thing where he says we have complete assurance and security in Jesus because of the gospel. Because God has chosen us. He's placed his love on us. He has made these promises to us. Is not going to let go. In fact, if you are his, then he's going to see you through and you can be absolutely sure about it. And that's so encouraging. We talked about it last week. We got so much feedback. People coming and saying, you know, that was just so encouraging. But here's the other part of that. It brings up a lot of questions, doesn't it? It it does bring up a lot of questions. For example, all this thing about election and predestination, if God chooses people to be recipients of his grace, clearly that's what it says. And that's nice if you're on the receiving end of it. But is it really fair is the question that people ask. Because by saying that God chose some people, Doesn't that mean by implication that there are other people that he didn't choose? Or someone might read this and they might say, well, I'm not a Christian. So are you trying to say that God has not chosen me? See, there's another question too. And it's this whole question about the Jewish people. The Old Testament seems to be all about how the Jews are God's chosen people. But now it kind of seems like that's maybe not the case and God is into Christians and not Jews now. And, and what, what's that all about? Like, did God change his mind? And if he changed his mind about them, does that mean that he might change his mind about me? Those are really important questions. And Paul is going to spend the next three chapters delving into these questions and helping us to understand Israel and understand how all this stuff pertains to us. So over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at these chapters and hopefully it'll bring some clarity to some areas where maybe there's been confusion in the past. Today's message, again, is called Understanding Israel, Part 1, Chosen by God. And here in Romans 9, here's what we're going to see. Here's a little outline for you. First of all, we're going to talk about God's heart for lost people. God's heart for lost people. Secondly, we're going to talk about some honest questions about God. Some honest questions about God. And thirdly, why God is beyond fair and worthy of worship. So why God is beyond fair and worthy of our worship. So let's begin by talking about God's heart for lost people. Notice how Paul begins this section in verses 1 and 2. He says, 
he is having great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Now, what a contrast that is from where we left off in chapter 8, right? Like in chapter 8, where we left off, Paul was triumphant. He was hopeful. He was full of joy. And now we, we go to the very next verse here in chapter 9. And all of a sudden, now Paul is distressed and upset and sad. What is Paul so upset about? Especially after all the great things that he talked about in Romans chapter 8. Now we come to Romans 9. What could have him so upset? Well, he tells us in verse 3. He says, For I wish that I myself could be accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. See, even though Paul is confident and rejoicing in his own salvation, at the same time, he is heartbroken and sorrowful over the fact that his countrymen, the Jewish people, have in large part rejected Jesus. Now, don't be confused and think that all Jewish people rejected Jesus. That's certainly not the case. The book of Acts tells us the story of the earliest days of Christianity and tells us that in those days, so many Jewish people were coming to faith in Jesus and embracing him as their Messiah. One of my favorite verses is in Acts chapter 6, where it says that many of the priests were becoming Christians. And I figure if anybody amongst the Jews should have become a Christian and re received Jesus as a Messiah, it should have been the priests because they were the ones really in the weeds of Judaism. They knew the stuff better than anybody. So that encourages me when I see that a lot of the priests were converting to Christianity or, or accepting Jesus. It encourages me that, that I must be on the right track too. But the point is the book of Acts tells us that very many people were receiving Jesus amongst the Jews. So it's not that all Jewish people had rejected Jesus. Paul himself is Jewish and he put his faith in Jesus. But at the same time, there were a lot of Jewish people who didn't. And there are a lot of people, Jewish people today, who don't receive Jesus as Messiah, the, the Savior sent by God. And this broke Paul's heart to see this. It broke Paul's heart that many of his own people, you know, his family members, his people, that they were not going to be saved because they were rejecting the salvation that God had sent them. And he says this radical statement there in verse 3. He says, I wish that I could just trade spots with them. Like, I wish that I could give up my salvation. I would be willing to go to hell for eternity if, if somehow that would make it possible for them to be saved. And that strikes me as that's incredible. And, and think about this. Not only is it incredible that someone would do that for anybody, but it's incredible that he would do that for these people in particular. Think about how the Jewish people had treated Paul. See, Paul became a Christian. He had been kind of a higher up in Judaism. He becomes a Christian. And then what do they do? They, they try to assassinate him. They try to kill him. Maybe you remember the story. There was a time where he had to be lowered down in a basket from a rope from a city wall in Damascus because people are trying to kill him. Right? These are the people who tracked him down, beat him up, followed him from city to city and harassed him. They lied about him. They slandered him. They spread rumors about him. They later on got him put in jail. Right? These people, and Paul says, I love those guys. How do you love people who do that to you? How do you have that kind of love? How do you have that kind of heart? Well, here's how. It's the heart of Jesus. Right? Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, he's praying for the people who just whipped him and beat him and nailed him to a tree. He says, Father... Forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Right? It's the heart of Jesus who gave up his life as a ransom for ours. He took on the curse so that we could receive the blessing. He took on the curse of our sin and death so that we could receive the blessings of forgiveness and eternal life and redemption and grace and a relationship with God. He was blotted out so that our names could be written into the book of life. And when you really understand that that is how God has loved you and that is what God has done for you, it changes how you think about other people. 
especially those people who you tend to think of as your enemies. Because if God loved you when you were an enemy of his, then how should you then relate to those who are enemies of yours? And what happens is as you begin to love your enemies, as you begin to pray for those who persecute, you know what happens? Pretty soon, at least in your mind, they cease to be enemies. They might still think of you that way, but you begin to develop this love for them as you pray for them and as you bless them. That's the, that's the effect, that's the dynamic of loving and blessing and praying for someone is that they cease to be your enemy. You begin to see them and have this love in your heart for them like Paul did for the Jewish people. He didn't see them as enemies. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. Pastor Nick has written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, Pastor Nick deals directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities. Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there any actual proof that God exists or that the Bible is trustworthy? Pastor Nick addresses these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or has concerns about these topics. And it is a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. To celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as our gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now, back to today's message. He saw them as people he dearly loved in spite of everything they had done to him. And that's what happens. The more you realize, the more you, you stew in the fact that of what Jesus has done for you, the more you come to share God's heart for lost people. Paul says an interesting thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says there in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.16, he says, From now on, we make it our goal to no longer see anyone or view anyone according to the flesh. We make it our goal to no longer view anyone according to the flesh. What he's saying is this. I want to see people not the way that the world sees them or the world identifies them or what the labels that the world calls them. I want to see people the way that God sees people. I want to think about people and feel about people the way that God thinks and feels about people. And truly what Paul says here in verse 3, this is the heart of God towards lost people. If only I could trade places with them. If only I could be a curse so that they could be saved. That is something that, that Paul wished he could do, but ultimately he couldn't. But it is exactly what Jesus did for us. And so I want to encourage you to ask God to help you to do the same thing, to see people the way that he sees them. Ask God to give you his heart for other people, for lost people, even people who you might consider enemies. Secondly, let's talk about this. Some honest questions about God. And this is really the, the biggest chunk here. Some honest questions about God. In verse 4, uh, starting in verse 4, Paul reminds us of some of the promises and privileges that the Jewish people uniquely had as God's chosen people. And he lists eight specific things. He says, they are the Israelites. To them belong the adoption the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises, to them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. In other words, the Jewish people had an incredible head start 
on everybody else. When it came to knowing God, when it came to receiving the Messiah, the Savior that God had promised and brought into the world, God revealed himself to these people. He chose them, right? He had a special relationship with them. And when the Messiah came, he came to them. He walked their streets. He visited their towns. He spoke their language. If anybody should have received the Messiah, it should have been them. And yet there were so many who didn't. And now we come to the New Testament, and it seems that whereas in the Old Testament God was really into the Jews, now he seems to be really into the Christians and not so much into the Jews. And this brings up a lot of questions. And before we get into those questions, I want to show you something in verse 5, kind of as a side note, but it's an important one. Notice what it says, how Paul describes Jesus. He says, he is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So this is one of the most simple and clearest statements in all of the Bible about Jesus being God. So if anybody ever asks you, hey, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? This is a good place to bring them and show them. Romans chapter 9 verse 5, because it states very simply, very quick, clearly, there's really no way around it. It is stating that Jesus Christ is God. Now, maybe you're here today, or maybe you know people, and, and they would say, you know, I admire Jesus as a great teacher, as a great example, as a historical figure, as a noble martyr. Uh, you know, sometimes I even ask myself, what would Jesus do in this situation? And that's good, but it is important that you understand who Jesus was. And this makes it very clear, straightforward, black and white. Jesus was God come to earth to save us. So that brings us to our first honest question, which we, we see there in verse 6. It's addressed in verse 6. On this topic of election and all these things, it says this. Here's the question. Has God's word failed? Has God's word failed? Right, so in the Old Testament, God told the Jewish people, I will never leave you nor will I ever forsake you. That isn't a promise that he just made to people in general. That's a promise he made to the Jewish nation when they were in exile. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be faithful to you and I will come to you and I will save you and I will bring you into my kingdom forever. But now in the New Testament, those promises are now applied to only those who believe in Jesus and they belong to anyone who believes in Jesus, whether they're Jewish or not. It's really easy to look at that and be like, wow, did God change his mind? Like, did God say one thing in the Old Testament? Now in the New Testament, he's saying something completely different. Like, in other words, did God's word fail? Like, all that stuff in the Old Testament was, was plan A, but then plan A didn't work out. So God tried to, like, sneak in plan B as if we wouldn't notice that something happened there. But we're like, hey, we noticed. And, and so Paul's answer to that question, verse 6, is this. Has God's word failed? No, not even close, by no means. And notice what he says, God keeps his promises. If God's word says something, you can trust it. But the question is still, what about the Jews? Like, if, did God's word fail Israel? And if it didn't, then why is it that not all of them are saved? And Paul gives the answer to that in the second half of verse 6, where he says this, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It sounds kind of like a, a riddle there, but this is interesting. It's a very important distinction when it comes to understanding the big picture of the Bible and everything that it says about Israel and Israel's place and all of the stuff that God says. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. It kind of sounds uh, like a riddle, but it's not that hard to understand if you consider what the meaning of the name or the word Israel is. So the word Israel, among other things, it literally means 
governed by God or ruled by God. Right? That's what the name means. And that's what their identity was as a nation. They were to be a people who was governed by God and ruled by God. And what Paul is doing here with this phrase that not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, it's a kind of a play on words or you could say that he's, he's making a play on the meaning of the word Israel. And what he's saying is essentially this. Not everyone who is ethnically Jewish is governed by God. Not everyone who is ethnically Jewish is governed by God. Now this is kind of like, let's put it in these terms. We would say not everyone who's a Christian is really a Christian. In other words, not everybody who calls himself a Christian, not everybody who self-identifies as a Christian is truly a Christian. Now maybe you say, wait a second, what do you mean? Well, that's actually exactly what Jesus himself taught, that not everybody who thinks of themselves as a Christian is truly a Christian. Not everybody who, who goes to church is a Christian just because they go to church. Now maybe you're surprised by that and you say, hey, I don't know, I, I think that sounds... I don't know. I'm kind of offended that you would even say that. Like, how, who are you to judge whether or not somebody's a Christian? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm not anybody to judge whether somebody's a Christian. That's between them and God. But I'll just say this. If you're offended by that, then know this. I was offended by it, too, the first time I remember somebody said that to me. And I'll tell you the story. I was in high school, and, and let's put it this way. I was not exactly what you might say pursuing righteousness, okay? Like, I wasn't uh, pursuing holiness with my whole being. Let's put it that way. Like, I was kind of the opposite of an accountability partner. Like, you know what an accountability partner is like that person who says to you, hey, this is sin, let's not do it. I was kind of like the opposite of that. I was kind of like, hey, this is sin. Let's do it twice, right? And so as I was living that way, there was this girl that I would drive to school every day, and we were friends, and she lived in my neighborhood. And I knew she was a Christian and, uh, and that she went to church. And one day we're talking in the car, and just kind of like as a side note, she says to me, well, that's because I'm a Christian and you're not. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, who do you think you are? Like, where do you get off telling me that I'm not a Christian? Like, I'm totally a Christian. Like, I'm a super Christian. I'm, I'm, the, I'm way into being a Christian, right? Like, I explained to her, I went to Lutheran school. Like, I got baptized. I went through confirmation. I memorized a lot of stuff, right? Like, I'm like Nacho Libre. Like, you all think that I don't know a bunch of stuff about the gospel, but I do, and so I remember I was just so offended by her. Like, how, who, who do you think you are? How can you say that I'm not a Christian? You don't know me. Like, I'm totally a Christian. I'm a big-time Christian, huge Christian. And she said to me, okay, well, well, tell me this. What's a Christian? Let's define it. And I said, well, it's somebody who, who believes in Jesus and the Bible and all that stuff. And she said, well, well, doesn't Satan kind of believe in all those things too? I mean, is he a big-time Christian too, you think? And I was like, well, no, obviously and she said, well, well, then isn't a Christian really somebody who not only believes that those things are true, like in theory, but actually also follows Jesus? Like, isn't that what it means to be a disciple? It means that you follow Jesus? And I was like, well, yeah, I guess that's what it means. And she said, well, are you following Jesus? And, and she knew me well enough that I couldn't get away with lying, right? So I said, you know, well, I guess not. Now, someone the other day came up to me and they said, you know, I self-identify as a Christian. Well, that's great. But not everyone who self-identifies as a Christian is actually a Christian. Just like not everyone who is descended from uh, Israel is part of Israel, is governed by God. Right? There are lots of people who equate Christianity with their nationality. Like, of course, I'm Christian, I'm Irish, or I'm German, or, or whatever it might be. You know, what Paul's saying is, look, not everybody who's descended from Israel is Israel. Not every person who is ethnically Jewish is governed by God. 
Not every person who's descended from Abraham is part of God's chosen people. And you might say, wait a second, I don't know. Does this really, what you're saying, does this really hold up? Like, are you just making this up? No, here's what he says. He says, not only is it that not every person who's ethnically descended from Abraham is truly part of Israel, the true Israel of God, but also there are many people who are not descended from Abraham ethnically who have been grafted in to God's chosen people. Now, in order to prove his point that this isn't just something he's making up, what he does next is he gives three examples from the Old Testament to prove his point and to show that this is indeed the case. His first example is found in verses 7 and 8. We read it earlier. And it is about Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. Abraham had two sons. His first son was Ishmael. His second son was Isaac. Both of those sons were descended from Abraham, but only one of them was a child of the promise. Only one of them became part of the nation that God was building, this chosen people, and that was Isaac, right? And so Isaac became part of God's chosen people, and Ishmael didn't, even though both of them were descended from Abraham. His second example is in verse 10, Jacob and Esau. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, Visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com.